Between 1986 and 1991, the bodies of 10 women were found raped and strangled to death in the South Korean city of Hwasyong. Their murders were linked to a still unidentified serial killer. This case was brought to the big screen in the 2003 film Memories of Murder, and one year later, the killer may have struck again. This is based on a true crime. I'm Chelsea, and I love true crime. And I'm David, and I love horror movies. And uh, this week we have a very special movie that was requested by a longtime member of our cult, Mariah. She recently moved to South Korea. So congratulations. I hope you are having a blast, and I uh, hope you enjoy this episode. It doesn't put you off South Korea forever. Yeah, that's a huge move. So congrats on that, and thank you so much for the suggestion and for uh, being such an awesome listener. We also wanted to thank some of our recent reviews katie g0929 vin fett and randy michelle thanks for uh, those reviews that really helps us in terms of the itunes charts or wherever you happen to write a review you can even do it on our facebook page and it makes me happy i like uh seeing good ones pop up and then i read them to david and we both feel good about ourselves so. yes yeah, yeah it's awesome thank you I just wanted to do a quick shout out to another member of our cult of based on a true crime, Beth. She and her friend Wendy just started a new podcast called Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color. And they just released part one of the Baseline Killer, which is a great episode. Very interesting. I think that, uh, you know, because they are focusing on serial killers of color, it's a lot of cases that I've never heard of they don't get as much media attention and they're doing a great job so congrats you guys also please stay tuned through the end of our episode to hear trailers from our pod friends um, murderish podcast which is hosted by jamie who recently joined the murderly network so welcome to the family also ignorance was bliss a podcast by kate about crime and also like the psychology behind crime which is her her specialty it's really great and also good evening kitties one for david too this is a podcast where they review episodes of tales from the crypt all right cool hey we just talked about that recently yeah before we get started i did want to you know just put it out there that there is not much available in english on this case i you know did the best i could with my google sleuthing Um, but i think it's really fascinating and it's a serial killer that i'd never heard of it just, you know, didn't quite break the news here, but he's very famous there. They call him, you know, the, like equivalent to our Zodiac killer. And he killed, you know, at least nine people and just disappeared without a trace. His crimes are very brutal. A warning, you know, this, as I said in the, the introduction bit, uh, there's a lot of rape, a lot of murder, also the rape and murder of a child. If that is not your thing, you could fast forward to where we talk about the movie but there's also the rape and murder of a child in there so yeah so we jump in yeah let's do it
On September 10th of 1986, 71-year-old Lee Wan Im left the home she shared with her daughter in Huaxiang to sell vegetables in Suwon. When she didn't arrive home later that day, her daughter reported her missing. In the early morning hours of September 15th, her body was found in the rice fields near her home. Her hands were tied by her stockings and her face had been covered by her underwear and she had been raped and strangled to death with her own clothes. Crimes like this were not common in the rural city of Huaxiang, which still contains more farmland than any other city in the Gyeongji province. But over the next five years, they would become an almost regular occurrence, the work of a still unidentified serial killer who became known as the Huaxiang Strangler. Police did not have to wait long for a second victim to be discovered. Just a little more than a month later, on October 20th, the body of 25-year-old Park Hyun Suk was found in the Jinanri Canal, just four kilometers or around 2.5 miles from the first crime scene. Police immediately made the connection to the first murder because the killer's modus operandi was identical. Like Lee Wan Im, Park Hyun Suk had been bound with her own clothing, raped, and strangled. Police knew they were hunting for a serial killer, but they had never faced a similar investigation. Although they were dedicating many man hours to the task, they had no leads to go on. And within two months, the killer struck again. This time he murdered two women within days of each other. On December 12th of 1986, 25-year-old Kwon Jung Bon was raped and murdered while returning home from work, and her body was left on an embankment. Two days later, on December 14th, the body of 23-year-old Lee Ki-suk was found in the Guanhongri Canal. She had also been raped and murdered, and as with the previous two victims, the women were bound and strangled with their own clothes. Well, around this time, a woman was raped and survived her attack, which was believed to have been carried out by the killer. This woman identified her attacker as a Korean male in his early 20s who was slender and between 5 foot 4 and 5 foot 6, and blood typing revealed him to be a blood type B. At the time, Korea did not yet have the capability of running DNA samples, so it wasn't much to go on. The killer didn't wait long before striking again. On January the 10th of 1987, the body of 19-year-old Hong Ji-young was found in a rice paddy very close to where the first victim, Lee Wan Im, was found. She had been killed in the same manner. Because it was raining around the time of her murder, police were able to find a shoe print believed to belong to the killer. The length was 245 millimeters, roughly equivalent to a men's shoe size of six and a half. The killer did not strike again until May 2nd of 1987, a little less than four months later. On that day, the body of 29-year-old Park Yoon-ju was found on Jinanri Hill, close to the canal where the second victim, Park Hyun-suk, was found, murdered in the same way as the previous victims. Then, suddenly, the killing stopped, at least temporarily. Over a span of eight months, the Hwasyong serial killer had claimed six victims and had left no trail to follow. He wouldn't strike again until September 7th of 1988, one year and four months later. And that was when the body of 54-year-old An Ji Soon was found raped and strangled with her own clothing. Immediately prior to her murder, she had been riding the bus with a man who fit the preliminary description of the killer given by the rape survivor. The bus driver was able to provide information for a composite sketch, which was released on the same day that her body was found. Nine days later, on September 16th of 1988, 14-year-old Park Sang-hee was found raped and strangled in the same manner. 
However, this case did immediately have some differences from that of the previous victims. The largest difference being that she was found in her bedroom at home in Janan Ri. So this killer had been striking women when they were walking alone in a pretty secluded area and basically murdering them and then dumping their body. You know, it's believed pretty near to where he, he attacked them. And this time her body was found in her bedroom. So police found hair at the scene and they used that hair to link the case to 22-year-old Yoon Mu, a man who worked at a nearby repair center. He was arrested on July 27th, 1989, but police believe that he was not the Hua Xiang strangler because you know, the, the MO was so different and because, as you'll see, the serial killer will strike again. So instead, police believe that he was an opportunistic killer and he copied the MO of the Hua Xiang strangler because it was you know known and widely publicized and he was trying to throw the police off of his trail. Oh, yes. interesting. So, you know, these suspicions were proved correct when the killer struck again, uh, but this time he waited even longer. He had a cooling off period of two years and two months. So on November 15th of 1990, 14-year-old Kim Mi-jung was abducted while returning home from school. She was raped, strangled, and bound with her own clothing, and her body was dumped on a hill in Byongjum Dong. In a new display of, I don't know if you want to call it increased cruelty, because he's clearly a cruel, terrible person, but the uh, the killer had taken a razor from Kim Mi-jung's pencil box and had cut into her chest 38 times. Jeez. Oh, yeah. Well, the killer struck for the last time five months later at around 9 p.m. on April 3rd of 1991. The body of 69-year-old Kwon Su Sang was found on Basong Ri Hill. She had been raped and strangled with her own pantyhose. Kwon Sung Sang had been in Hwasong to visit her daughter, and witnesses observed a man believed to be the killer wearing black clothing with a hood or a black baseball hat. Although the killings ended, the investigation continued. In total, South Korean police dedicated over 2 million man days to the case. They interviewed over 20,000 people, took fingerprints from over 40,000 individuals, and compared 570 DNA samples and 180 hair samples to samples taken from the crime scenes. No arrest has ever been made. At the time of the killings, the statute of limitations for murder cases was just 15 years. On September the 15th of 2001, the statute of limitations for the first murder ran out. The statute of limitations for the last murder expired on April the 2nd of 2006. Despite this, the National Institute for Science Investigation held onto the DNA samples gathered from the crime scenes in hopes of one day identifying the killer in part due to outrage over the statute running out on these and other unresolved cases the national assembly lifted the statute of limitations for murder in july of 2015 in an article published in 2013 in support of ending the statute of limitations an anonymous police officer is quoted about his experience policing during the hua Xiang serial killings the officer stated quote the problem with the hua Xiang serial murder case was not the incompetent detectives or lack of scientific investigative technology but the historical context. During the 1980s, the Korean government was concerned only with the repression of the protests against the regime and the overthrow of anti-government powers. The crimes were not the focus of their attention. So in the early 1980s, and this is greatly 
paraphrase, I'm by no means an expert on South Korean history, but um, so in the early 1980s, Chun Du Hwan, who was a army general that had participated in the Vietnam War, conducted a military coup and seized control of the country after the assassination of the previous South Korean president. So throughout the 80s, throughout the time that these murders were taking place, there were very frequent protests against the government and the police were given orders by the government to repress these protests. And that was, you know, really the the priority. So, you know, although the police did everything they could or claimed that they did everything they could, their resources were likely thinned just due to the, the political climate there. Well, in the years since the murders apparently stopped, every subsequent murder and disappearance in the area has brought the Hwasong serial killer case to mind amongst city residents. In October of 2004, shortly after the release of Memories of Murder, a female college student was killed. Her case remains unsolved. In December of 2006 and January of 2007, two more women disappeared near Hwasong after leaving work. If still alive, the suspect in the Hwasong serial killings would only be in his mid-50s. He is believed to be an organized killer. Although he did not bring weapons with him to commit his crimes, he had enough foresight to attack the women he killed in secluded locations and followed a meticulous MO. All of the murders took place outside of regular working hours, either on or near holidays, or on Saturdays, which suggests that he may have had a regular job. A police officer involved with the case said of the killer, quote, given the cruel, abominable modus operandi, he is likely a psychopath. A psychopath does not feel guilty. He or she enjoys the thrill of committing heinous crimes. Yeah, so that's the the story of the Hua Xiang serial killer. I do have a, a few points I want to discuss that I think you know tend to come up when you're thinking of a uncaught serial killer, which is what happened? Why did the killing stop? I feel like another thing that really interests me about this attack pattern is that he started out attacking people and killing them so frequently. And usually it's the opposite, right? Usually they'll start slow and kind of ramp up until eventually they just get caught. You know, something like maybe like a, a Ted Bundy who at the end was like killing a bunch of people in an apartment, like multiple people in one night. But this guy killed once a month and then twice in two days and then a month later and then took a break for four months and then took a break for a year and then took a break for two years. It's pretty weird. Yeah, maybe you got sick or something and died. I don't know. It's kind of weird, right? When when a serial killer is not caught and, you know, from the the witnesses that they do have saying how young he was. I mean, the potential of him still being... Being in his 50s. Yeah. I mean, look at the Golden State Killer, the East Area Rapist. I always thought he died because you wouldn't think someone could just stop. Yeah. I mean, right. It's like, did he just like, oh, I'm sorry for my ways. I'm going to not do this anymore. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) I'm bored of this hobby. I'm going to take up cross stitch. (laughs) yeah. Jesus. Yeah. 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 It's, I don't know. It's curious. I, my instinct is always, oh, he must have died. He must have gotten hit by a bus or maybe he couldn't take it and committed suicide. And, but who knows? He could be in his fifties. That's just crazy. Maybe it was a ghost. Yeah. Actually, speaking of ghosts, when I did this research, I you know looked for English language articles. Actually, I did want to talk about some of my sources. Uh, There's a YouTube video, Five Unsolved Mysteries in South Korea by Merck, which actually had more detail than most of the articles I could find, including Wikipedia. So way to drop the ball, Wikipedia. Also, the Chosun Ilbo, which is an English language Korean news website, crime-mystery.info. And then actually a lot of the information about the statute 
of limitations I got from an article, that 2013 article by Elizabeth Hahn called Is the Law Always Right? A Study of the Statute of Limitations and the Police System Through the Three Unresolved Criminal Cases. And one of those is, you know, the, the Hwasyang serial killings. But yeah, speaking of ghosts, I did, because I was curious, run a couple of Korean websites through Google Translate, which came out for the most part complete gibberish, complete oh, unusable really? gibberish, unfortunately. One part, though, that caught my eye that I ended up picking through for a little bit of information that don't quote me on this, quote Google Translate on this, but apparently there are a lot of ghost stories associated with this case, basically like this case being cursed. So a bunch of investigators and a bunch of suspects have died very mysteriously. Oh, interesting. So one was a suspect in the ninth murder case. This is 38-year-old Chamo. And apparently he died by being hit by a train. In April of 1991, another suspect, suspect in the 10th case, uh, 32-year-old Jang Mo, was being pursued by police and he fell from the roof of an apartment building. Hmm. This is according to Google Translate, so it could be a little bit wonky. Yeah. Uh, but in 1997, a boy, he was 19 at the time and he was a suspect in the 9th case. He died of cancer. He was only in his mid-20s. Oh, wow. Yes. A suspect in the seventh case who was released after uh, there was insufficient evidence to hold him committed suicide. A suspect in the fourth and fifth murder cases who was caught apparently thanks to advice from a psychic. It said, according to Google Translate, that he died of stress from being tortured, which seems crazy. But then you think of the movie Memories of Murder and they were not very nice to their suspects in that movie. So there could be a, a shred of truth in that. Oh, totally. Wow. Yes. And then in terms of the investigators, the person who caught that man who was arrested for um, killing the 14-year-old, the one who was found in the bedroom, he died in a traffic accident in 1999. And uh, two more officials, Choi Chong Chi, who was the uh, chief of the investigation department, and Song Mu, died from what's listed as excessive stress. So lots of strange deaths connected to the case. Yeah, excessive stress from the ghost murderer yeah yeah (laughs) it's pretty crazy and it's interesting you know they talk about at least in the google translate of this page you know there being suspects for specific murders that are not the same person which also makes me think maybe the cooling off period maybe it wasn't all the same guy especially if the mo was well known enough for there to be one copycat perhaps there were others perhaps there were ones who were a little bit better i know they do have dna and hair evidence from the scene so i'm assuming at least some of them have been connected through dna but maybe not all of them i don't know Wow. That's pretty wild, though, really. So a lot of mystery surrounding just the, I mean, the entire series of murders. Yeah. It's crazy to me that this is not better known. And it's crazy to me that there are so few English references available. Don't they know how much Americans love true crime? (laughs) Come on. Yeah. And the, you know, memories of murder hit at a time where I feel like that could have raised a lot of visibility of the crimes. And it wasn't all that long after, I guess, they occurred. Yeah, it was... 11, 11 years yeah. after the last murder right or 12 years yeah either way it's a long time for a mysterious unnamed never caught serial killer to be out there yeah let's put that uh, that dna into one of those databases try to get a familial match come yeah. on if we did it for the golden state killer we can do it again <laughs> yep gotta catch them all yep Pokemon. Oh, wait. (laughs) Well, sit tight we're going to dive into our discussion of memories of a murder here in a second we'll be back 
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. In 1986, Detective Park Du-man and Detective Cho Yong-ku are two small-town detectives assigned to a double murder case in a small providence in South Korea. When several more women are raped and murdered in the same way, they realize that the murderer is the country's first documented serial killer. Because of their lack of experience with a case like this, Xiao Tae-yoon, a detective from Seoul, volunteers to assist them in the hunt for the killer. So this is 2003's Memories of Murder, directed by Bong Joon-ho. And this is actually pretty cool because this director is kind of a big deal. Yeah, I had no clue. A lot of you may know him as director of The Host, which he did in 2006. And that's about the giant monster that comes up out of the Han River and kind of wrecks havoc all over Seoul, Korea. It's really good. I really like The Host. It's so much fun. I haven't seen it, but I have heard a lot about it, so I'll have to watch it, yeah. Um, I think my dad complained about that movie because he thought they showed the monster too soon. Oh. They thought they should have revealed it right away. Yeah. Yeah. It it might be a cultural thing. Yeah, it is really soon, but it's great. It's so fun. There's two more that maybe a lot of you have heard of. Uh, He did 2013 Snowpiercer, and that's kind of the post-apocalyptic futuristic train movie. It's like the train is so long and so big, and because of where society is, like it's all divided into different social classes. And, you know, where your position on board kind of says a lot about your social status. And that's starring Chris Evans, right? Yes. Yes. Yep. Captain America himself. Yeah, Tilda Swinton, I believe, as well. Yep. And 
I I heard they were doing a TV series maybe of it. Oh, that sounds cool. Yep. And then his most recent movie is Okja, which is a Netflix exclusive. It's kind of a big deal um, when it came out because he's such an esteemed director. It would be, I don't know, like if Spielberg directed a, a Netflix exclusive movie. And it's a fantasy movie. If you've seen the trailers or any of the material for it, it's like this really cute, enormous super pig it's a it looks like a bunch of different combinations really cute animals is really yeah i remember watching the trailer we might have even had it as our coming soon on the podcast although i have been refusing to watch it until i know for certain that okja lives and all david can tell me is oh he he heard that okja lives and i need better than that so if one of you out there has seen it and i can trust you not to lie to me tweet at us and tell us whether Okja lives so I, I know whether I can watch the movie. Because from the trailer, I'm already super attached. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, Bang Joon-ho, also his first movie was in a film called Barking Dogs Never Bite. And I never saw this one, but I kind of remember the trailer. Uh, it's like a dark comedy and it's about uh, a man who wages war against the loud barking dogs in his apartment building. I don't know. I, I do not like the sound of that. That <laughs> sounds like some dogs are about to be killed. They have to check uh, does the dog die.com yeah. to confirm whether or not that happens. Mm-hmm. And then in addition to this film, he has a 2009 movie called Mother, but um, he has a, a new film that's i think due to come out next year called parasite and it's about a family of four where i guess each member of the family has some sort of set of unique characteristics and beyond that he has said that there are no parasites or bugs or infestations or infections involved in the movie isn't that the exact premise of the incredibles though oh no i guess they're a family of five the fantastic four though uh yeah anyway great director and having this as you know one of his early films i think it's just pretty cool it's a stellar movie. It's a, a spoiler alert for when we discuss the movie, but it's it's excellent. I loved it. Yeah. It's really good. I'm not going to lie and tell you that it's in English. I mean, it's subtitled. <laughs> yes. It, this is our first foreign language film that we're covering the podcast. Streaming, if you have Amazon Prime, it's free. And, you know, yeah, you can't watch it at the end of the day when you're tired because you have to you know read subtitles, but it's so good yeah well essentially free after you pay your monthly (laughs) bill to amazon or whatever it feels free to me (laughs) yes so the writing of this movie is really interesting in that bong joon ho wrote the screenplay but it's inspired by a play called come see me by kim guang rim the director has said that this was a huge inspiration and that um, it helped with the structure of the story. There's a lot that is different from the events that happened in the true crimes aspect of it. But um, one of the things I thought was really interesting was he was highly influenced by Alan Moore's From Hell graphic novel, which we covered in our Jack the Ripper episode. Yes. Yep. Actually, we have a copy of it, right? I don't I don't know where it is. Yeah, but... I do. I have a copy of the graphic novel. Yep. I'm I'm hoarding it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, you can you can kind of see a lot of it. It's cool that he didn't take any inspiration from the movie. He has himself said that the movie was greatly disappointing, yeah. which I think was I our agree. consensus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So it has a really large cast, but, you know, it's really down to the uh, two detectives and then the kind of special detective that comes in from Seoul. So starting with actor Song Kang-ho, who plays Park Duman, and he is 
the kind of the main detective that is in charge of solving the murders. He's actually been in a ton of other films that uh, Bong Joon-ho has directed, including The Host and also Snowpiercer. And then not the same director, but a South Korean film that is really good. He's in Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. So if any of you have seen that, his face may look familiar to you. Uh, we have Kim Sang-kyun, who plays uh, Seo Tae-yoon, who's like the younger detective. And he's the one that is brought in from Seoul to help out with the case because Park Duman's kind of partner is this character Cho Young-koo and he's played by actor Kim Roy-ha and uh, he's the one that is not a very good detective. He uh, tortures all of their suspects, I believe. Yes, yes he does. He like puts a handkerchief on his boot, I believe, to what lessen the... No, it's like one of the little booty covers. I had to put those on for my radiological worker training. Oh, yeah. okay, yeah. yeah. It's to keep his boot from getting scratched when he's kicking the crap out of suspects which is not why i wear it i wear it because of radiation yeah it's not to not scratch up the suspect it's to not scratch up his boot that's the kind of guy he is and uh we'll talk about him when we kind of go into the film a little bit more sergeant shindong chul who's their boss is played by actor song jae-ho um, but that's kind of the the core cast. You know, it's one of those movies where they're you just kind of follow them as they are trying to solve the case of the the killings. There are I was able to pull up two taglines as a non Hollywood picture. There aren't as many crazy ones. So the first one is just 1986 in a small town for two detectives. Everything was new. I don't mind that. I feel like there's so much more to the story though than just. You know, them being new at doing this sort of investigation. I don't know. Yeah. It's okay. And this one, I guess, could actually be the uh, the elevator pitch of our show. Based on the true story of serial killings. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> no, it's, it's very vague, but I feel like it works. And I think if you want to sell a movie like this, you know, that's, people are watching it because they're curious about these real life serial killings. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Speaking of real life serial killings, I wanted to, you know, get some of your initial thoughts on just after we just talked about the the case, your perception of the movie and what they kind of captured from reality. But there's something interesting that we kind of ended on with the true crime research, and that was that you know the killer was never found. But one of the things I did come across was that director Bong Joon Ho was confident that the killer would end up watching this movie he actually purposely designed the final shot of the film so that park duman would look directly into the camera and park is looking at the audience he's face to face with possibly the killer if the killer is watching this movie oh my gosh i love that i didn't even think of that while i was watching the movie although the the final shot that whole final scene is is excellent but man i just got goosebumps Ooh, yeah i love it oh yeah. my gosh and you know the likelihood of the killer having seen this movie could have been pretty great because i mean it was very popular in south korea at the time yeah. and that's very similar to the phantom killer yeah Right, where they end the movie with him, you know, basically being in line to to see the film The Town That Dreaded Sundown. It's oh yeah. Just, yeah. Yep, totally. Yeah. Very, very meta. I love it. Yeah. That's uh, something else. I guess it's like his way of trying to see if it's like, confess. Yeah. Maybe there's like subliminal audio there that like, confess. Yeah. Turn yourself in. Or subliminal messages you can only read with special sunglasses. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Totally. Obey. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I mean, I love this movie. It really gave me 
zodiac vibes i think that it's it's beautifully shot it's very dark it's very compelling story and i you know i know he he talked about being inspired by that play in terms of how to create this narrative and it's a narrative that you see in a lot of true crime stories which is you know sometimes more true to the true story than other times and that's the descent into madness of these people who are tasked with solving the case and they just get so close to it and so involved that it kind of drives them crazy just being kind of caught up in in the mind of the killer in the mind of the person doing these horrible things and you know maybe finding out that you're also capable of of horrible things so i feel like that's the the big story arc in terms of how closely it follows the real killings i saw online that um you know two of the 10 victims were killed on rainy days and only one was wearing red so in the movie you know everyone was killed on rainy days almost everyone's wearing red until you know that pattern is discovered and then the the killer branches out um and the other interesting distinguishing characteristic of the killer in the movie is uh, when he kills he apparently well maybe maybe he is the one requesting this one specific song on the radio which is so creepy (laughs) Um, oh yeah I love those touches. You know, I think that this killer did have a very distinct MO, particularly with how he killed his victims, which they do follow that in in the movie. And they just expanded on it because it's a movie. You want it to be, you know, cinematic. One thing that you do need to keep in mind when you're comparing this movie to the real case is that in this movie, they have the killer targeting very beautiful young women, which I think is introducing like a sexual aspect to it. Like he's killing women who he is attracted to, especially initially before it became just killing whoever he could get his hands on, you know, as women are becoming more aware of him. Yeah. But in the true story, the first person he killed was a 71 year old woman. You know, rape is not a crime. That's about whether you're attracted to someone or not. It's about control (laughs) Uh, it, has, it really, I think, has nothing to, to do with that. So I think that's a very Hollywood type change to make. But no, over, overall, it's, it's just so good. The actors are so good. Everything's so good. If you liked Zodiac, I think you would love this movie. And I've, I love Zodiac. I have not seen anything comparable until watching this movie. Yeah. Hey, high praise. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, David? What did you think? Oh, it's, yeah, it was a really good movie. I think that what you said about, you know, one of the, the things that it gets true is not descent into madness or whatever, I guess the sense of frustration and how far detectives are kind of pushed and how outside of their moral statutes or whatever they're willing to go because that's a big part of the ending of this movie. And that's very, very interesting, very intense. Yeah. But I think the fact that they took all the victims and kind of made it easier for audiences to follow, like, oh, serial killer. They're all young women wearing red and on rainy days. And when the song plays, that ratchets up the dramatic tension towards those final murders. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's just set up that way to give you these scenes where, you know, the detectives are fighting in the office and suddenly one of them's like, everyone be quiet, and like turns up the radio and it's the song. And it just like, you just, it like makes your skin feel tight. It's just, it's so well done. Yeah. Or the, or that, and that moment, I, 
can't remember if it's that scene or not, but he reaches his hand outside and it has started and to rain. Yeah, it is that scene. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, okay, this is the two parts are together now. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's a movie. I feel like Zodiac is very, very, very true to the real story. You know, all the victims have the same name. Like they're, they are the victims who were killed. This, they definitely take liberties, but I can forgive that because it's, so well done yeah i like the messiness of it so like the crime scenes getting overrun by whether it's the news media or like even the first ones where it's just children playing in the fields and they happen to come running through or the or, farmer on the tractor yeah oh my god the tractor the farmer just runs right through some footprints that they're about to use as evidence at the crime scene the forensic teams showing up late it's just all of those things just really come together so perfectly Perfectly. Yeah, and I think that it it does a good job, you know, having this transition where it starts out where they do feel like these like bumbling country detectives, and then you get the introduction of Xiao Tae Yoon, who is you know like a big city cop from Seoul, who comes in and does bring a lot of insight and can see that these cops, due to their treatment of suspects, uh, are eliciting false confessions, multiple false confessions from different people and you know this this cop who comes in he's the one that's able to you know make the connection with the rainy days and he actually finds a victim that they didn't even know existed just based on you know a missing persons report filed that fits the pattern of of red clothes and going missing on a rainy day and you know is able to find her body and he does all of this great work and his kind of influence on Park Duman is like turning him into this like better, more capable cop. Um, But then, of course, you know, the case gets so frustrating and they just keep failing to to find this person to put him away and unfortunately you basically see by the end Taeyun the the detective from Seoul becomes just as bad if not worse than than that character of uh Yan Ku the one who who beats the suspect because he very nearly kills a suspect after it's revealed that the DNA was not a match because he just you know can't can't take it yeah yeah that's a really heavy scene yeah like the build-up is just pretty amazing with that story arc one of the things too that is interesting and it is interspersed from what we were talking about you know a little bit earlier was the political unrest in south korea at the time there are several scenes where they definitely show that that is occurring there's scenes of protests and and it it does kind of become obvious that not everything is going to necessarily go their way because the country's focus is on other things yeah yep maybe the killer had would have been caught (laughs) who knows maybe yeah And, and they also show about the issues with the forensic testing where they had to actually send samples to another country they had to send them to japan to get the dna back which took so long basically that's during that time that taeyun really kind of uh what is Michelle McNamara describes it as like falling in love with this suspect. Like this has to be the guy. And not only that, but you know, during that time the killer strikes again and uh, kills actually a, a very young girl. So similar to the, the 14 year old who was killed in the, the real case. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's, oh my gosh, it's powerful. Yeah. So it's interesting, you know, we were talking about how worn out and stressed the detectives are in this movie. So Xiao Taeyun's character uh, the director wanted to like limit his food intake and let him sleep less in order for him to have that like grizzled demeanor. And I guess it worked. It was a little bit method. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, this this movie did really well in South Korea. It won um, a ton of awards. It won the Grand Bell Award for Best Film, and then it went on to gain all sorts of international acclaim. Um, and I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Right. Well deserved. Yes. For sure. Yeah, definitely. We we won't do a whole walkthrough of the movie. There's like a whole lot that happens. I feel like in a serial killer hunt film, we'll just let you kind of experience it yourself. Yeah, seriously, just watch this movie. But I, think about some of the things that we talked about with just like the detective work and and you know, just how this serial killer setup kind of unfolds. But one of the things that, you know, we're talking about this abuse of suspects is there's a mentally handicapped boy who is um, Buck Kwang Ho, and he is one of the first suspects. And I feel like it's just so cruel what happens to him in the beginning. Yeah, and I wonder how much of that could be real because in that ghost story bit, there was a suspect who was hit by a train. Oh, oh spoiler yeah. alert. Oh. Uh, poor Kwang Ho. Yeah, it's really rough because... I feel like we as the audience can recognize right away that this is not not the one who, who killed people. Uh, you know, he's yeah, just a very childlike, uh, although, you know, he, he is an adult actor. And yeah, they take him in because he was known to have a, a bit of a crush on one of the victims and he would follow her around. So they like beat him into confessing and try to have him like lead through a recreating of of the crime in front of all these reporters and of course that does not go well at all um and then later on it turns out that he actually may have have witnessed the the murder of of this woman and unfortunately as they're trying to to get him to talk about it a whole bunch of other stuff goes down and he's running away from them because he's terrified of them because one of them beat him for days and days and days and as he's running away he gets hit by a train so yeah. yeah. The, you know, um, Yonku, who's the, the partner that does the beating, I guess. Yeah, just kind of keep an eye, because the way he treats the suspects. And there there's something a, a little, like, odd. It's like a little odd character thing that he does. He does, I don't want to laugh, but, it, like, he does this jump kick. Oh, my God. Yeah. And it just, it's really cruel and awful, but it just, like, he goes so crazy with it. He just, like, pulls this jump kick out of his hat at just the most kind of shocking moments and it left me kind of like gasping every time i was like Ugh, it's not funny it makes me feel really uncomfortable but it's a little bit like a wind-up toy or something it definitely made me laugh it, it's like when the cats go after something it's like just so sudden yeah it's just like like a cat sees a, you know another cat and gets scared and like jumps three feet in the air and like twists the body around just like bing, like it's <laughs> yeah. on a springer yeah yeah, yeah. feel really bad laughing. oh no <laughs> but yeah, if you have not seen Memories of Murder, or even if you know you've seen it and you, you know that Bong Joon Ho has just all these awesome movies, you know, check out any of those that we mentioned as well. Yeah, and there's a scene in this movie that I honestly think is scarier than anything I've seen in any horror movie ever. Oh, I forgot about this. And yeah, watch it and see if you can guess what scene I'm talking about. Because yeah, I screamed. It's yeah, it's, yeah, it's good. It's a great scene. All right. Well, that is Memories of Murder. You know, we hope hope you've enjoyed listening to us talk about the true crime aspect and all the stuff that really happened and then how this, this version interprets the events and some of the changes they make to make it a little more uh, cinematic. So 
yeah so if you have seen this movie let us know what you think or if you check it out based on you know this episode holler too because we would love love to talk about it there we could go on and on i think about this movie yeah join our cult of based on a true crime post there let's start talking about it yes and you can find that through our facebook page all right so as we wrap up i just wanted to see if uh in our busy week you had a chance to come up with anything for uh now playing oh i do was it last weekend on our cult of based on true crime page uh amanda posted and said chelsea you like rom-coms have you seen set it up which is a new netflix movie that is a romantic comedy that is amazing has Lucy Liu and Tate Diggs and whoever the two younger unknown actors are. But they're both great and it's so cute. And if you need a break, you know, if you watch Memories of Murder and it's just so dark that you need a break, you should check out Set It Up. Especially if you like rom-coms. Actually, even if you don't, because David was laughing along with the whole movie. I wouldn't say you're a rom-com fan. No, but it was entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. If you like rom-coms, definitely check it out. Yeah. Uh, what's your now playing? So I just finished Stephen King's The Outsider, which I think I mentioned this earlier about how it may be up many of your alleys. Is that how's that the saying? I loved it. It's really great. And if you're worried about the the risk of a, a Stephen King flubbed ending, this does not have a flubbed ending. So there you go. What do you got for coming soon? Actually, it's quite a coincidence because my coming soon is The Outsider. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, uh, I just joined Scribed, which is like an audiobook subscription app. And it was available and I figured, hey, I have a long commute. You know, I I enjoy listening to podcasts, but sometimes I want to listen to something where it's not real murders, just fake murders. So I figured I would I would give it a go. I've got a big trip coming up and I think it'll be uh, fun to listen to. And then we could talk about it finally. So cool. Yeah, I'm excited. What about you? What's your coming soon? Yeah, I was looking at stuff for coming soon. I was like, what do I have in the queue? I'll just keep on the book roll, the Stephen King book roll. Uh, the Bizarre Bad Dreams, which is a short story collection. It's one of his more recent ones. And I just started the first short story, which is Mile 81. And it has already gotten into a car that um, eats people. So Yeah, he really hates cars. Yeah. Yeah. I don't blame him. I'm not a fan anyway. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well. That's it for our what we're watching and reading or listening to. We're all over the internet. We're on uh, the social media. We are on Instagram at Based on a True Crime, Twitter at True Crime Based. Find us on Facebook at Based on a True Crime Podcast, but most importantly with Facebook. Join our discussion group cult of Based on a True Crime. Yeah, and we also have a Patreon, which we are releasing a new episode. It should be out by the end of this week for sure it's actually recorded but we just need to edit it after we edit this and it's about dracula and vlad the impaler and i i loved talking about that movie with you and talking about the true crime so hopefully it it came out pretty good the only way to find out is to donate to our patreon just one dollar a month gets you access to uh, not only our episode on dracula but we have have a, actually a pretty big backlog now of episodes we've been doing this since january yes yeah. one dollar a month <laughs> five dollars yeah. a month or three dollars a month ah, ah, ah. perfect if you would like to see my artwork and what i'm up to creatively besides this awesome show check me out on instagram at lab creature 
Our podcast theme and supporting music was composed and performed by Nico Batiste of We Talk of Dreams. And he can be found on Twitter and on Instagram, both handles at We Talk of Dreams. Also, his website, wetalkofdreams.com. So as we uh, wrap up this episode, just wanted to remind you, give you a little friendly parting words. Death is but a door. And time is but a window. We'll be back. And stay tuned for a word from our pod friends. Hey you, do you like the Tales from the Crypt series? Do you like spooky things in general? Then check out the Good Evening Kitties podcast. That's Good Evening Kitties podcast. G-O-O-D-E-V-E-N-I-N-G-K-I-D-D-I-E-S podcast. Each week, I'll review a new episode from the TV series, The Tales from the Crypt. Find me on Podbay, Podbean, or iTunes. That's the Good Evening Kitties podcast. Check it out today. Hey everyone, I'm Jamie, and I host a podcast called Murderish, which takes you inside stories of murder and other creepy events. The first episode of Murderish lets listeners be a fly on the wall for a first-degree murder trial. The story is told from a juror's perspective as I was that juror. If you are a true crime junkie and need to know every detail, you'll feel right at home with this podcast. Follow Murderish on Twitter at MurderishPod and on Facebook at Murderish Podcast. And don't worry, this doesn't mean you're a murderer. It just means you're murder-ish. That's horrible. That's true. So strange. Usually. I can't imagine what that's like. Do you want to? That could never happen to me. It might. Lock him away. He's pure evil. Or insane. Or human. My name's Kate. I have worked as a forensic psychologist, as well as in prisons and as a crisis clinician. My job was to figure out who gets locked up and who gets a key. To find the humanity in inhumane situations. So, are you sure you really want to know? Yeah. Maybe. Because by the end of the episodes, you just might end up thinking... I felt better before I knew that. You can find me at IWB Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, sometimes Instagram, or you can email me at iwbpodcast at gmail.com. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.